Welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. All right, guys, welcome back to Fusion Fantasy Football. It's Josh here again. I told you I'd be back, and I told you we'd be talking about projections. So I brought on none other than our friend Peter Howard. You can find him on Twitter, at Paul Howdy. Now, this this is his third. He's come back for more. I, I don't know why, but this is uh, three years straight here. He's back. Uh, I don't know why before I had him on more around the combine period and we talked about rookies, but I really wanted to dig in with Peter on projections. And now he's done projections for years, both uh, season long and weekly. His articles are on DLF. Uh, if you want to hear more from him, we're going to hit this right at the beginning. Dynasty Crossroads is the podcast. And on YouTube, he has The Grind. Most importantly, Sign up, look for and sign up for his Patreon. The man has given away his his information for like a dollar a month. Um, so be sure to check out his Patreon. Everything is there that I just talked about. Uh, so it's a good place to find everything all in one. Peter, welcome back. Thanks for joining me tonight. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Uh, yeah, the Patreon paywall is like a dollar. Most of the stuff I put on there is actually free. I, I try to make some things Patreon only just because I feel like being nice to the people that are paying my bills. But um, yeah, I just, uh, it, yeah, that's what it is. I just know, especially when I started, like trying, as, unless you're a coder or you're used to scraping websites, it's real tough to find data or a history of it or some level of understanding without paying money and i've never had any money so um the patreon is just kind of my attempt to give back that way and also occasionally pay a bill yes free data for life um <laughs> you undertook recently a pretty impressive uh project or on your youtube where you were i guess live stream i don't know if you're on twitch anymore but it was live stream video you can find them all on youtube the recordings where you from scratch was building a projection model uh, in Excel live on camera. We're talking three hour videos, but um, if you dig through it, if you, if that's something you want to look into, it's there for you and you can even get then the finished result and mess with it yourself. Peter, what, first of all, what, what were you thinking? Um, no, <laughs> I really know the answer to that question. Uh, you were, you were thinking you needed, uh, well, you were telling me you needed to do something with your projections to what project or change up or get ready for these, uh, 17 weeks or I guess 17 games, 18 weeks. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I was projecting a player profile in the last few years, and recently they hired full-time staff, which meant they couldn't have uh, as many consultants, like an uh, independent contractor, I guess I was, um, which is great. for the. I'm really happy for the people, that, the person, actually, that got hired. Josh Larkey is definitely a great addition. Um, didn't mean to make it sound like a negative thing, like they should have hired him. I'm not, it's not a complaint. Um, but that freed me up. Um and I was thinking about projections and the fact we're having a 17-game season this year. Um, and I just decided I kind of wanted to rebuild my um, seasonal projection model anyway. And since I live stream, I thought that would be a good idea because I relatively I put relatively little thought into the things I do. 
because that was a bad idea. Like uh, long streams about the grinding process of working statistics are not it. They're not the content people are looking for. They want the results. It's much more fun to give hot takes. Uh, they want actionable answers like draft Tyler Lockett. He's a value, not... And I think we should probably adjust Tyler Lockett's target share here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> that's not it. But there is, you know, a small little subset of us that kind of enjoy the grind um, or might enjoy a projection model in themselves. And I was doing it anyway. I think we actually covered it in about six sessions. I did one off stream because I just needed to catch some things up, which didn't really, it was just a matter of filling in some blanks, basically. And so I did one session by myself, as it were, which made it, makes it sound dirty. I don't know. But um, but yeah, well, you got it done pretty quickly, I thought, from building it from scratch. Um, my initial idea was to show where to go grab free data from, but it's getting increasingly difficult to find that. Um, and so some of it I just literally imported from the stuff that I had and added that to the projection model and said, this needs to be updated as you go. Um, for 2022 projections, if you keep using it, for example. But if you get that far, you've probably um, are more comfortable going and finding your own data to update it um, anyway, because it is a grind. You have to work for a long time on a spreadsheet. It's not something that that uh, people enjoy. <laughs> it's not fun. Well, you spend that much time doing it, even if you're new to it. And before you know, you're going to know how to do it. And so now going back next year, and updating information, everything is going to seem pretty simple. Uh, it's not going to seem so intimidating. Um, I, I know that, first of all, I really appreciate you had a video. You did a little bit of a, a skit where you were uh, yeah, my one attempt, so. joking. Uh, it was good. It was good. I, I definitely empathized um, with, with, with you there where you had to revert to um, just hot takes at the end, but I, I yep. kind of referenced that. So that's what made me think of it. No, it's true. Um, also, I was just having a bad day and I was thinking about all the great people I've seen come into and then leave this space, like significantly better than me at fantasy football and better than most of the people that I've met at fantasy football. And um, I mean, it's just sex sells, not accurate information. And as someone who's just wanted us to get better at fantasy football, like that's been my whole gay goal the entire time. And sometimes it's sad to think about the people that have come and gone and because they are not a jackass like me. So <laughs> they're not fun to watch humiliate themselves as I think is part of the reason that I survive. It's like I'm a very boring individual doing all this boring work. But then the half the rest of the time, I'm basically a cartoon character. And I think <laughs> I think that helps me. But that doesn't mean I'm the best and the people that survive. And certainly, I mean, it's TV commentary. You can replace people talking about football on the TV with pretty much anyone off Twitter. And the information is more accurate and probably better. And um, so, yeah, it's just one of those days where you're thinking about the people who have come and gone. But um, and it made me sad because I've done a lot of live streams and mostly it's like three, four people. Occasionally I get 20 at the start. And um, then when it gets into, okay, let's do some work, it's uh, back down to three people. And uh, yeah, it can be a little frustrating. Um, but on the upside, Kevin O'Brien, who did leave for a while, who's definitely one of the people, is now back. So, you know, there's ups and downs. Yeah, I love Kevin's stuff. Uh, try to borrow, borrow brilliance from uh, him and from you as much as I can. And very much actually uh, encompasses kind of the idea behind Fusion Fantasy Football when I came in. And when I started this, it was right after he actually had taken a break, and I I kind of uh, kind of took that thought, and so I was really glad to see him come back. You did 
talking about the projection model you were working on, what were some of the things you, you wanted to change um, or update from what you'd been doing in the past? Anything, any new approaches or a new emphasis? You always come up with new, that's the thing. Projections are always kind of a work in progress. That's one of the things I learned about doing projections while, you know, learning to make them. And there's opinion involved. It's not 100% fact. You don't build a projection or a regression model and ask it to tell you because that's, you can do that. I can project points per game based on regression models and the most accurate stats, and you can have that. But if you want actual projections, you have to layer on opinion because we know stats project X amount of next season on average. That's not even taking into account year-to-year variance. And so the best way of getting the best results is to layer in some nuance from your own brain, which you can you can you can uh, program some of that in even to an Excel sheet. But ultimately, you have to just make assumptions sometimes. Like Larry Fitzgerald, there's no reason he shouldn't have a wide receiver three share in San Francisco. But you're like, nah, screw that. This is DeAndre Hopkins and um, Rondell Moore's time. So you just go in and you deliberately give Rondell Moore a larger share than even a rookie drafted in his draft round would get. And, and you pull back on Christian Kirk, even though his stats and the place he is in his career would suggest he's more likely to maintain. And is that going to happen? I don't know. But I think that's a pretty good projection based on all the context that I am not smart enough to program into a computer. Right. My, I'm pretty dumb, but my brain is more sophisticated hardware than I'm able to create in Excel. And so I think people in general are able to assume more nuance than I could ever program into a sheet. Absolutely. Uh, was there any particular uh, stats or anything that that you started using or gaining new emphasis? I know um, I, I'd been looking more at yards per team pass attempt than I had in the past, things like that. I didn't know if there was anything new you were integrating. Um, yeah, a few different things, but, I mean, it's not new to anyone else because they weren't, they weren't there. They don't know. Um I've been using Air Yards, or at least ADOT, um, which is the same thing, uh, to do projections uh, literally ever. But, um, well, since I started, at least. And I, I don't guess all models or all projections use that. So I guess that was a new thing when I started Air Yards, and so I'm still using that. But um, as for new approaches, like I said, uh, projections are a constant process. of uh, my, Every time I look at it, I find something I want to tweak. So simple. It's like your rankings. If you ever do rankings, you're like, actually, I'm going to put him three spots higher and him two spots. Yes. There's no time you can look at it and like, that's perfect. Um, and so really I wanted to build it from scratch, partly because I thought it'd be a fun exercise on stream. A lot of the stuff in my projection model had been hacked together on the fly because we're finding something that's not quite working right. And so you build something quickly to adjust for it. For example, I was using Vegas stats for a lot of things, trying to account for some variants that week-to-week uh, -week projections really weren't getting right because, you know, an average touchdown share is nothing when you're looking at a week-to-week -week projection because if you score a touchdown in a single week, that you can never project a full touchdown, essentially, and you need to on a week-to-week -week basis. And so there were some things like that that I always just like to play with. And also, I just wanted to clean it up a little bit and make it a little bit more of an easier user-friendly interface because my my actual original model, I don't think anyone would be able to make heads or tails of at this point. Whereas this one, we're just able to create a separate tab with all the teams listed, and you can literally just type in target share, rushing share, or whatever you want in terms of efficiency. 
instead of having to understand every little asset of the model to understand which cell you have to change. So hopefully I change the user interface, uh, I'll call it a little bit more. Um, but there are also some things I just, I don't see, a, for projections, I don't see a reason to update. For example, I can't get air yards to work for running backs. I've gone back and forth on this with Tanho, who's uh, one of the smarter genius coders over there at um, DLF, and he uses air, air yards and says A dot works for running back, and I consistently, like it creates insane projections. They have minus A dots because they catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Right. And, and so instead, it just reverts to yards per catch for running back, which is a very old stat and not sophisticated at all. But my projection model, and it depends what you want it to do. I just want it to create a reasonable expectation. Now, I want to layer in my own assumptions, but I want it to create a median expectation given everything that we know and layer in what I think on top of it. So it's not meant to predict the future. It's meant to give me reasonable assumptions to then approach drafts an approach breaking down what I think is going to happen in 2021. Like I was arguing online the other day that I think Debo Samuels is better than Brandon Ayuk. My projection model doesn't say that. Neither do my projections for fantasy Ayuk wins. But I think something different, and that's okay given what I'm trying to use projections for. I think it's very reasonable to think Ayuk is the better player. That's what my projections show. For me, personally, and it's not just his value, I think that Samuel might be a little bit better in terms of fantasy. Um, and both of them are probably going to finish outside the top 24. So, Well, speaking of running backs then, I was curious of how uh, your your model was handling some of these players, um, both second-year players, but also some players like uh, I wanted to look at David Montgomery kind of as a test case here because he's someone who's gotten a decent amount of volume in past years and really got a lot last year. So how mm -hmm. did you approach his either market share and everything else as far as his volume going into 2021? Um, well, his volume um, in the rushing game really wasn't a problem. He had like 61% rushing attempt share in 2019. He had 66% uh, right. share last year, which is that slight increase, but it's not so drastic that it massively threw off the projection. It wanted to give him a projection of like 63, and I've stayed pretty close to that in terms of total rushing um, attempts for the team. His target share is a little trickier because he came up with 12% last year. And the, the, the slight nudge, it's not really a model, it's a slight nudge we add to target share just to push it in the right direction before we add our own assumptions and knowledge on top of it and wanted to bring him down from that. He had 6% the first year, 12% the second year, and so it wanted to give him a like a 9% target share. I still think that's a little too high looking at the overall makeup of the team and what happened last year. I think he's going to be a lot closer to 6 than 12, and so I push it down a little bit further than that. And outside of that, uh, the projection took care of itself largely as yards per carry um, is maintained, although I do alter yards per carry a little bit through... Um, just career year and also looking at the average of what they've done recently. Um, but like he had 6.3 yards per carry and I can keep him there as well. It's really those touchdown rates um, uh, that have a large effect on running back as well. Um, like last year, again, because of that target share, he was getting a touchdown for every 219 receiving yards. Um, the year before that, it was 185. So I took a nice base average for around 200. And running backs tends to be a little lower because they're catching less receiving yards, but I kept him largely inefficient because I just think last year was 
a bit of a blow up spot, um, and that's fine based on the, the strength of schedule. Yeah, those touchdowns. I, I was going to ask about that if you hadn't mentioned it. That is definitely what kind of raised his fantasy points. And I was wondering how you generally approach um, the touchdown rates. I mean, it's we we talk about how it's one of the least predictable things out there, but do you just go by a standard rate for the offense or do players seem to carry over their, their own rates to some extent? Um, no, touchdowns are largely just random variants. <laughs> I mean, there are some players on either end of the spectrum that's very clear. This seems to be a facet of their game or them and their situation, but it gets really difficult to separate out, at least for me, at what point the player stops and the situation begins or the play calling or the strength of schedule, the, the mix is a little too hard to separate out with touchdowns. That's a complicated way, I'd say it. The uncomplicated way is just they're not predictive, they're not sticky. Getting yeah. a lot of touchdowns is technically a bad thing if you're looking for a, a continuation of that performance following year because it's probably not going to happen. One of the few things I have found are fairly consistent in fantasy football, well, the, well, it's that. There's value in the fact that we know that. And largely is made popular, like, uh, I don't even know how many years ago, so I'll just do a dad nerd stumble over my words. <laughs> so many years ago. Um, I first really uh, took to hearing about it from J.J. Zacharyson on the Late Round podcast, talking about regression, what regression was, what it means, so on and so forth. So we invested years learning how not to say over and under regression because those aren't actually things. Everything regresses. You don't regress up or down. You just regress towards the average. And But some players seem to have their own averages. As Devontae Adams, on the one end of the spectrum, he's always going to outscore his expectation in touchdowns or what is reasonable for a wide receiver, even at his aid out. Same with Tyler Lockett. Same with um, DK Metcalf, it seems. Now, obviously, there's part of that that's Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. They just seem to be really good at scoring touchdowns. Now, when you remove Aaron Rodgers, does that mean Devontae Adams isn't going to do that? I don't know, because the other examples I can think of seem to be consistent without the quarterback. And that's where I get to the tangle is difficult. If Devontae Adams is playing without Rodgers, I think he's probably still exceptionally efficient in touchdowns, but probably less so. But it gets to be a tricky... And no, work some magic assumption in your head. There's no exact rule. But uh, speaking of new stats I'm using, I've dropped from using touchdown rates to using yards per touchdown. One, because I thought it was just a little more intuitive and I was trying to make this in a way that people could easily just fill in the blanks if they wanted to. So if a wide receiver gets 100 yards, do you expect them to have a touchdown? Yeah, so 100 yards per touchdown seems to be a fair rate. And... for example, but I'm doing that across all touchdowns for this model. So you have to have a certain number passing. It's really um, touchdown per yard instead of per, like instead of we usually represent touchdown rates in terms of a percentage like 3.8 percent or 4.2 percent rushing touchdown rate. That that just makes less intuitive sense to me unless you have familiarity with which is high and which is low. But if you just think about it in practical terms, if a running back has 200 yards in receiving, you probably expect him to have a touchdown. And in fact, the average is around 197 yards in the receiving game before most running backs get a touchdown in the receiving game. Now, when you look at Christian McCaffrey, it's slightly higher than that. And so you've got two different averages working, essentially. You've got the player's average, which they need to have played significantly and before you can really start adjusting for what they have done. Um, and then you've got uh, this touchdown stat, which regresses fairly consistently. 
Um, I really learned to look at yards for touchdown from Adam Harnstead. I had a talk with him once for his podcast, I think it was. And um, he pointed out that almost no no player has ever failed to regress um, in terms of yards per touchdown. The one example he had was actually uh, Rob Gronkowski. He stayed out of the range of expected um, for his entire career. But then he played that one extra year and suddenly he came, he re- finally regressed um, back into range. Now, you can also look at that in, in a positional basis, like I was doing with running backs. So for wide receivers with significant touches, not a lot, but like a wide receiver three level of touches, they tend to catch a touchdown once every 157 yards. Um, for tight ends, they catch a touchdown every once every 130 yards. Now, obviously, Travis Kelsey is going to be higher than that. And so you adjust the average based on what the player has done. Um, you could go into it deeper than that. But like I say, I think the... The player portion of that is too hard to separate out. I don't know how much of that is Aaron Rodgers. I don't know how much of that is the exact scheme that Devontae Adams has lived in um, and thrived in, frankly. Uh, Talking with uh, Nick Whalen the other day on my podcast, he was talking about how Aaron Rodgers and the coaching staff are remarkably effective at finding situations where Devontae Adams is a mismatch and making play calls at the line of scrimmage to give him an advantage. You take that away, does this touchdown rate decrease? Probably, but so probably do these yardage totals, right? And um, But what do I do know that is less prone to I don't knowism, I'll call it, is that touchdowns do regress into these averages. Even Rob Gronkowski regressed back towards that 130 yards per touchdown eventually. And year over year, you can pretty much expect it. Yeah. And so that's what I'm doing with touch hands. I don't know. I can't even remember what the original question was. No, honest. that was it. I mean, that's what I was, that's what I assumed the answer was that we, we pretty much just try to shoot the gap down the middle when it comes to, to the touchdown rate, because like you said, it, it always regresses. I mean, sometimes you see a player after enough history that it seems to be a little bit of higher rate, but also like, it seems like it also has to do with, and that's what I was curious about when you said of Montgomery, has to do with also what kind of role and what kind of plays they're involved in. So Montgomery, the the passing game results in the touchdowns at a higher rate per a pass attempt or target at least, and that which which leads to the idea that I was just talking about in the last podcast was weighted opportunities. It's just a similar idea that they're more valuable per a target versus a rush attempt, and so that Montgomery's losing yeah your role and where you're getting the ball matters yeah and because Montgomery's losing the pass attempts the 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 targets he's going to lose the opportunity for touchdowns as well well here's one of the really tricky things with touchdowns like the majority of touchdowns scored in the season happen within the red zone now that is a very obviously stated facts and the minute you hear about it you're like well yeah there's not many people throwing 50 200 yard 100 yard bombs every game it happens now and again and um, for Patrick Mahomes more than most for example <laughs> but red zone usage uh, where we're talking about volume, that's where your touchdowns come from. And I used to track red zone usage in the receiving, rushing, and passing game inside the 5, 10, 20. And it's a stat that TJ Hernandez still tracks, I think. Um, I forget what he calls it, but it's basically a regression. Like if you're getting volume and you're not getting touchdowns, your rate, your chance of getting a touchdown pretty soon increases. Um, but year over year, when looking at projection models that predicts a season, red zone usage isn't consistent. Yeah, nothing about touchdowns is, and that's probably part of why, um, 
uh, touchdowns are so unpredictive because your use in that area of the field also changes. Um, so yeah, that, again, that goes back to the hardware you're in your head is probably much better than anything I can build an Excel sheet. So you look at Jimmy Graham and you think that's purely where he's going to get used. So a high touchdown rate, a yo- low yardage efficiency, and you can just layer that in. I think Tom Kislingbury on uh, Twitter had a fantastic thread once talking and pretty much just debunking the entire idea of uh, running backs, you know, this guy is going to be a goal line back and this guy is yes. and he went through it and it's, it's completely, it's not really there. It's, it's a complete myth. No, a lot of the, a lot of the things we find or the discoveries we make are actually discoveries that the things we think exist don't. <laughs> it's like, you can't, I, I've actually trying to be, I've actually trying to be, that's not a way of speaking, Pete. Um, I've been trying to think of a way of including this in draft analysis, but there's really no such things as positions. I mean, it's a handy shorthand for us, but like Jarvis Landry doesn't play the same game as Tyreek Hill. That's a different role. And, and Jarvis Landry doesn't play the same role that Odo Beckham does on the same team. There's more similarities, obviously. Um, but uh, same with running backs. There's no goal line back and there's no rusher back or thunder and lightning. Those things don't make sense on a broad concept. Um, but there's really no such thing as running back in the sense um, that, you know, all these guys play very differently. They get used in very different circumstances depending on their scheme, depending on the game and the game script. And so, honestly, I think one of the limiting factors of us is not just goal line back or grinder back. There's no such thing as a receiving back. That's another thing Tom was proving in that thread. They, they really don't exist. There's not RB3 as a receiving back. And so it, it's more just a dependence on position notations. Now, just enjoying football, obviously they exist in the same way that like everything actually exists. But in terms of projections or a, thinking about what's going to happen next year, it kind of limits you. Um, and that's I, that, that's the that's NFL football, man. It all comes down to the fact that it's a small sample trap. By the time we get enough history of a player to think we can be consistent and not have to rely on averages and guesses, he's Frank Gore. Yeah, they've that, already that's, moved. That's the guy who's touched the ball enough. That's it. Yeah, they've <laughs> already moved out of the, the period of their career where it, it would be even meaningful anymore. Yep. Um, one thing with the running backs there, and just to circle back to, to listeners, if you're following me with – the fantasy points per weighted opportunity was something I was looking at. And fantasy points is just a stand in for yards and touchdowns. Then unfortunately the touchdowns, like we talked about can fluctuate. So you can give you a little bit of mirage there, but there's oftentimes players that maintain a high efficiency of fantasy points per the weighted opportunities. Uh, I was waiting a target as one opportunity and a 2.55 rush attempts equaling one weighted, which kind of falls in line with uh, what uh, many other smarter people than I have have figured out about uh, a target and a rush attempt and their equivalent values. Point being, it was really interesting. I overlaid it onto the uh, my sheet that shows the average positional uh, rank and the average fantasy points for that rank. And I also then tapped into the, the, the fantasy points uh, per weighted opportunities and the total weighted opportunities that those players had and i found something really interesting which was that the the wide receivers were actually much uh flatter in the efficiency Mm -hmm. um and of course the running back it tails off but the top five 
consistently had just way better efficiency. It curled, curved right up, and uh, it, it just comes back to that those running backs were getting just as much full-time workhorse usage in the run game as, as the running back 6 through 12. But they were getting involved in the passing game as well and probably getting lucky in touchdowns. And so that's what, you know, <laughs> made it go up. And that's that's running back. And that's what we always are shooting for in those top six uh, guys. We're always hoping to find the cheapest one we can that's going to end up in there. Um, the last few years, that's been someone like Aaron Jones. So I, I just wondered, looking at Aaron Jones in your sheet, and do you is this just kind of hedging a little bit with with age and with Rogers uncertainty or um, do you think his past couple years were actually above uh, what you would have expected? You have him um, coming in like 272. So it's still a, a fair, you know, top 10 or 12 running back. Yeah, he's top 10 running back. I believe he's about. Seven or eight on your sheet. Uh, he's nine right now. Nine. I might have changed something. I don't it is know. Nine. But um, no, um, uh, I didn't actually touch his usage at all. Um, it, it's just relies on the natural projection. About fifty-four percent of rushing attempts. Um, based on fifty-one percent last year, fifty-seven percent the two the year before that, fifty-two percent the year before that, and so he's fairly consistent in that range. Fifteen percent target share last year. Uh, 13 the year before that and 8 the year before that when Jamal Charles was kind of not Jamal Charles, Jamal Williams was strangely the receiving back despite them having different college histories Um, I've always been a big fan of Aaron Jones and a top 10 running back isn't meant to be shade Um, I thought of that as a strong projection it's more that Aaron Jones because I think the Packers hate him I I think (laughs) I love him and fantasy loves him but the Packers hate him I mean any if anyone's rostered him, you know the feeling that, you know, just give it to Aaron Jones. He does better with it than, like, everyone else in the league. And just give it to Aaron Jones. Oh, it's A.J. Dillon, this particular carry. Oh, it's Jamal Williams. Oh, it's Dexter freaking Williams. Yeah, that's a good use <laughs> Another of Williams. Pitches, Green Bay. Um, and they just drafted A.J. Dillon with absolutely no need for him while you've got Aaron Rodgers, uh, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers, for that matter. Um, the team can like a running back with his level of performance and production having less than a 60% opportunity uh, rushing percent like that says it all about the Green Bay Packers the team underuses him now because he's great he he operates on a high level of efficiency but that's never really going to show up on something expecting I don't project like the top 1% efficiency gradients and for any particular player it brings it all back towards that average and efficiency that regression continues to work so, for example, he has an immense yards per carry last year, but it wants to drag him back a little bit from that. So it takes him down from 5.5 yards per carry, which is what he had to do last year. Like, that's, that's really efficient. And for a season-long basis, um, like, I think the average is like 4.4, 4.5 yards per carry for an entire season. Um, and so that's part of why he was doing it. He also had really good yards per carry. or yards per catch is a pretty good receiver. With, so... It's really his usage and not being able to project that level of efficiency. I mean, you can because you know it's Aaron Jones, and so maybe he's going to keep doing that. And for my part, I kept it. I let him regress outside of what he has been doing because, one, he's aging. Two, the team might be changing, like you were saying, but I didn't make adjustments for that. I just didn't make adjustments Um, because Aaron Jones has been so efficient 
you kind of had to assume higher efficiency on that usage to get him into the top 10. This year, you don't because he was so efficient last year, it boosted him up there naturally. So I just didn't increase it from there. And I didn't know if any of that was part of what we were talking about similarly touchdown regression because when we were talking about that we were expecting touchdown regression for him even last year because two years ago he had the ridiculous touchdown season and so a lot of people were down on him and i i'm looking at him as a value because i'm seeing him falling even below where you have him so i did not meet any shade i wanted to dig into him because i think he's a value obviously in dynasty leagues people are getting worried about his age but he just signed a new contract um, he, he didn't have a ton of usage like right away as a rookie either, but he just seems like an interesting value to me. So I wanted to, wanted to hit on him. No, he is. Um, the problem, like I said, in dynasty is, is one year bad. His value is not going higher, even if he continues to be one of the five best backs in the league. And so he gets adjusted down for that. Um, right now, like you say, I think he's operating a point where it's worth paying. <laughs> Cause I, mean, I, we're talking I think he's fifth round. I think we're going to see Aaron Jones in the league for another four years. He's just, mm-hmm. not, he's probably hit his peak production. He's definitely hit his peak value and that's where we're at. But I still expect top 12 running back difference making fantasy season out of him. Yeah. You can still get him in a startup in round, sometimes round five. <laughs> and just, I mean, yeah. as you're running back three, that's, that would be pretty uh, Especially this year, because uh, increasingly we're drafting running backs earlier and earlier, but we still continue to get the age disc. And a running back, it's it, it's we want young running backs on the come up. That is definitely the way to go, especially in dynasty. But as we increasingly draft running backs earlier and continue to let older running backs who are good fall, like Ezekiel Elliott's like the hot sleeper this year because he's going in the third round, and you know Aaron Jones is sitting there in the fifth. So yeah, and I'm and of course that's super flex, so you have to adjust that up a good you know twelve to twenty picks. Uh, Fair. But um, getting off of the running backs a little bit, then we were looking at your your wide receivers, and you really love wide receivers, Pete. Um, <laughs> Apparently, no. I one of the ones that I can't quite get to out of my mind. I've been trying to trade for him in all my dynasty leagues all off season. I was curious how you handled it, and this would kind of tie into a quarterback question, but not that you have to have an answer because who <laughs> knows when it comes to those quarterbacks? But San Francisco. Um, New Orleans, Michael oh, Thomas, yeah. how in the world is he? Uh, I think ADP is recovering on him. A lot of concept, people are coming around on it a little bit. I see him moving up in ranks, but still um, seems to be terribly undervalued. Is How much of that do you think is justified, even if the quarterback play is bad? Um. Somewhat. I mean, he's 28 years old, so his dynasty value, not his actual play, but his dynasty value is wallowing uh, around that age uh, because, you know, we still like don't like DeAndre Hopkins, despite what he did last year. Um, and so value is just a different conversation. In terms of production, I don't think he was getting 28% of the targets last year because Drew Brees or 33% the year before that or 29% the year before that. That's a Michael Thomas feature in the same way that it used to be a Jimmy Graham feature. Um, there is an interesting uh, symbiosis between quarterback and wide receiver that I argue a lot with uh, with Jacob Rickroad. The two do work together, obviously. Um, but I think it's more likely you have a top 12 wide receiver and not a top 12 quarterback than the other way around. And so Michael Thomas doesn't need Jameis Winston to be Drew Brees 
to be a top 12 wide receiver. And that's the way I go with it. And his volume has come down just because uh, we do have a slight age regression in our base model. <laughs> he still has one of the highest target shares in the league. I expect that. And his touchdown rate, I'd have to look actually. So I'm going to look. I mean, it's never been exceptional. No. Um, last year, he didn't have any, apparently. Um, and the year before that, it was like 191 yards per touchdown, which is fine. It's within a range. So he's never been scored. It's mostly on that volume um, and those points per reception, which I think, especially on this team, he should keep up. Um, you know, I know the argument that comes to mind is everyone thinking Stefan Diggs was going to hit in 2020, which he did. But the argument was because Josh Allen goes down the field, so Stefan Diggs will. Stefan Diggs had a had a lower A dot last year than he did the year before. That's mm-hmm. A dots tend to be products of the player. It's yeah. just that he didn't have an Adam Thielen cuffing each other, um, and Josh Allen also seemed to be better than uh, some idiots like me thought. Um, well, and so, low A dot might have helped a little bit with that accuracy too. Right. Um, well, it's not. It wasn't a low A dot. It just it didn't increase down the field like people thought or I heard the arguments of that's why Stefan Diggs was going to go off. It wasn't. It was just that Stefan Diggs is remarkable and he was now the only target. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the target shares that get up here in the 30s, there's several players. There's DeAndre Hopkins and Keenan Allen who just seem to be, that's a function of their game. That's what they do. And Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen seem to be that type, not quite that severe. And as Stefan Diggs kind of proved last year, like he didn't co-opt, I, I'm pretty sure I'd have to check, but I don't think he co-opted 30% of the volume. He was just exceptionally good on a significantly high, yeah, he had like a 29%, actually that's pretty high, um, share of the targets. But again, um, when your competition is Cole Beasley, um, as opposed to Adam Thielen, there, there's, there is a limiting factor on the floor. In fact, in debunking vacated targets, what I found is there's like a minus three plus three correlation to target share for the wide receiver two if they already have a significant target share. So uh, that's another way of expressing what I did back when with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and that uh, players seem to have a way of affecting each other's ceilings in target share, but not their floors. You don't get to, again, what Michael Thomas did, what Stefan Diggs did, um, what Tyler Boyd did, frankly. Um, because you're the only game in town, you have to be good to get that level of target share. But you can mute each other's ceilings if you happen to have Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CD Lamb all on the same team. And they can limit each other's access to that supreme target share, which means they're more aligned on efficiency. What was the question? Michael Thomas. Yeah, I think he's a top five wide receiver this year. He doesn't need to be exceptionally efficient than more than he has been in touchdowns. I don't think he has to be exceptionally efficient in yards. I just think he's still going to co-opt on that makeup of the team, even with Jameis Winston, 27 to 33% of the targets, and he'll be decent on them. And that's one end of the spectrum where, you know, it's Michael Thomas and, I mean, there's other players there. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen other players running around on the field, but it's pretty much Michael Thomas. And then on the other hand, what you just, I mean, beautifully segued right into is uh, <laughs> a players capping each other and now we got Julio traded to Tennessee and we're think- thinking okay what is that going to do to AJ Brown uh is there enough work we saw you know Corey Davis do pretty well but AJ Brown was also hurt some of that time 
So where do you have them? I mean, I can look on your sheet. Anyone who's listening can go, again, Patreon, and go get the sheet and look at what we are looking at. You should be doing that already if you're listening. I point out, as yeah, you're this listening. one's free. It's not behind a paywall. Oh, well, my projections are behind a pay behind the $1 paywall, but the sheet <laughs> itself is not. The whole projection project was just open source. Yes. Um, let's see. I've got... Uh, AJ Brown is wide receiver nine. I actually have Julio Jones too low. I do want to increase him, but I managed to get his points per game back by reducing the number of games he plays just because it's a 17 game season and he's old and veteran rest days. That was my logic. Um, I think Julio Jones is going to be a good player in 2021 because he's always been a great player. It does cuff um, AJ Brown's ceiling a little bit, but... Mm -hmm. Um, well, you were kind of just I touching think, on. Uh, let me see if there's a better way of putting this. I think Julio Jones, despite how much I love Corey Davis, Julio Jones is better than Corey Davis. Um, right. And so he'll get a larger share and he'll do better on it. Now, the relationship between how much that improves the team um, and how much that affects AJ Brown, I think in some way balance each other out more than we think. So I do have to increase Julio Jones. I don't know why I haven't done that already, but. What I would say is Corey Davis has been a borderline top 24 wide receiver twice now, including last year and in his second year with A.J. Brown. So um, A.J. Brown's been, I, I, I want to check. This is a thing. Like, I forget so many numbers. This is why I have sheets. But how efficient has he been? He's been exceptionally efficient. Exceptionally. A.J. Brown's been had a, a racer of one. 0.6 or 0.95 the average is around 0.75 for raso which is a receiving air conversion ratio mm -hmm. which is a measure of efficiency in air yards um his touchdown rates obviously also going to be pretty good yeah one one touchdown per 60 yards uh yeah. is exceptionally good and um, both the problem both of them have is that tennessee is not a passing offense and that's a limiting factor where both could be subdued. I think I have to bring Julio Jones up and AJ Brown back a bit, but where my mind's so locked in on dynasty, like I have no questions about AJ Brown. Like he, he's good. He, we should continue to think he's good. And, yeah. and I have no questions about Julio, but I think the passing offense limits both and they will drown out everyone else in it for sure. Um, and uh, that probably brings AJ Brown to a borderline top 12. And, you know, Julio Jones is going to be a top 15 receiver. And I, I do assume he's going to sit some games just because 17-game season, you don't need to play every game. You just don't. Yeah, that definitely introduces a whole new element that we're going to have to see see how that goes, especially some of these running backs. Um, you don't really need A.J. Brown to play every game on this team. It's going to be the Derrick Henry show as always. But both Julio and A.J. Brown can be really efficient on that. But projections are, like I said, always going to struggle to capture that. Yeah. Yeah, going into the season... Earlier in the offseason, I was looking at A.J. Brown, and I was thinking, and we were looking at a DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas level 31% kind of target share kind of thing going on here where you just dominate the targets, but less offensive targets as a whole. Uh, I definitely agree that I think that's a great take that it's going to benefit the team as a whole, and I think that's a great way of looking at it. Um, it lifts, just lifts everyone up together. Also, in, we can probably expect Julio to have his best touchdown year. Not that anyone will care, but um, yeah, that'll be really, Julio can't catch touchdowns. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to keep well, an eye on. It will be interesting for me from a nerd perspective because it's one of those data points that can help, hopefully, increase our knowledge of the in the connection between touchdowns and quarterbacks. Absolutely. Yeah. 
this will be an excellent test case to 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 look back on and see how these players affected each other and the even the volume of the offense like we were saying this is not a passing game but what if they become a passing team because you got two wide receiver ones yeah well and that's the thing when julio had touches in the red zone he scored at an average or above average rate he just rarely got touches in that red zone in Atlanta. Now, it didn't matter because he was so able to make plays outside the red zone, but it did lead to this lower touchdown efficiency that everyone thought was a feature of his game, which I'm not sure it was at all. Another team that has a lot of players uh, vying for targets, and at the same time, I'm continually skeptical about how often the team is going to even pass. Up in Pittsburgh, the Steelers, uh, Big Ben, it seems like well, obviously, the the passing targets on that offense. Thinking of speaking of test cases, um, absolutely blew up with Antonio Brown and Juju having their their great seasons. It seems like it was ancient history with all the drama that happened to Antonio Brown, but that was basically two years ago. Um, <laughs> um, so they had that fantastic season. I don't think they didn't quite hit 700 pass attempts, but it was pretty close. It was six, nine, 690 something. Um, that's steadily gone back down, which the average for a big Ben was much lower than that. But we still see these three good wide receivers. Juju's still around. He signed again. Claypool broke out last year. And of course, Deontay Johnson seems to be, the more consistent target. Um, how did you approach those three guys and their distribution? So I'm still looking at uh, Tennessee right now. Uh, who are we talking about? <laughs> Up in Pittsburgh, we've got the three wide receivers yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. no certainty on the still being high passing volume. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Juju has proved consistently that he earns a high passing volume. Now, uh, Deontay Johnson last year was actually exceptionally good at earning targets. He had a 23% target share. I'm pretty sure that was his second season as well, and so we should pay attention to it. Chase Claypool uh, didn't get the volume. He scored multiple three-touchdown games. That's what he did. Um, So here's my spiel, I guess, on um, (laughs) touchdowns this year or on Pittsburgh wide receivers, I think Juju is significantly more talented than most wide receivers in the league. It's actually more popular right now to say he's average. I think he's above average. They lowered his ADOT, basically a running back's ADOT last year. Um, And that's what Debo Samuels, by the way, got slammed with last year because his ADOT was significantly low. The year before that was seven. Interestingly enough, when wide receivers have these low ADOTs, they tend to spring back up into more reasonable ADOTs the following year which is not something I always think people uh, pay attention to. But what I'm saying is Juju was producing more yards per uh, team pass attempt by while being given less yards um, through his passes. He was doing a better job in this really kind of obscure, relatively rare um, role for a wide receiver. Relatively few wide receivers get a 5, 8 or less and have 20% of the targets. It just doesn't happen a lot. Um, even Debo, who had that 7A dot in his first year, had like 18% target share. So that tells me that the volume is being fed into this fairly unusual part of the field and the players being abnormally efficient with it. 
and that 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 has something to do with that player being more dexterous in the offense they can move him to this weird role still get more out of him than you would most players and they're still throwing so much volume there and juju's finished with more fantasy points than all these guys that's another thing people forget because he actually started to rise in adot over the last latter half of the year as uh, they just, I guess, needed him to move out. I'm not going to play football coach. I have no idea how football works. Just fantasy. So um, I do think Juju is better. I think Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are significantly talented. Don't get me wrong. You don't do what you did last year without having talent. Real clear truth is I'm not calling you out here. I think Deontay is true. Um, and I think Chase Claypool is true. We can all have our cakes and eat it. But the things, I think touchdown regression is more dangerous and holds more risk. And so Chase Claypool, he's either one of the best wide receivers. Like if he can increase in volume, um, then he would be a significant buy candidate right now, especially at his price. But I think what we saw is abnormal touchdowns last year. I think it's more Kelvin Benjamin than it is Michael, Mike Evans. Um, and so I expect chase claypool to be the one to lose out in 2020 i think deontay johnson will continue to be um pretty good in the nfl but i do expect him to move further outside and juju to judo's a dot to rise slightly and um, having said that yeah i think they do all cap their each other's ceilings i think judo is a top 12 wide receiver if he wasn't in such a committee deontay johnson's easily a top 24 wide receiver in the role he played last year um, but that's difficult to do with Chase Claypool, who will continue to be a significant touchdown threat in this offense. So what I did with them, I don't know. That's what I think about them. And what ended up happening um, right now in my projections is that he said vamping, looking for time, because he's just looking it up. And I put uh, Deontay Johnson in the top 24. I did raise Juju's above him. I think he's going to also maintain that volume and get a slightly higher ADOT. So we don't need much more to happen than that for him to finish ahead of both of them for the entire season. And Chase Claypool is going to regress back to a 36 wide receiver. He's that boom bust player who could easily make a play that lights your hair on fire and that you love watching, but isn't going to be a weekly consistent fantasy asset in 2021. Yeah, I was just interested because as an example of the fusion between the quarterback and his receivers, this is a case where... The quarterback is, we assume, on on the downward end uh, and will be regressing. And, oh, if Claypool had Russell Wilson throwing him the ball, I'd probably be all in on him. Um, but he doesn't. He has, we don't know, old busted, maybe, Ben Roethlisberger. And so it'll be, that's why I was saying it'd be interesting to see if, if as good as these wide receivers are, how much will they be able to buoy uh, Roethlisberger? Um, like I say, I, I, I think he's fine where he is. He's a, a quarterback two. We'll keep being a quarterback two that has, you know, 30 to 40% of weeks in the top 12, because that's where those guys tend to finish. Um, I don't think he has to be a top 12 wide receiver for what I just said to happen. And in fact, that's where I've got him ranked. He's like quarterback 16 playing a full season. Uh, yeah. Cause you had Roethlisberger is a pretty, pretty high, I think higher than most people would think, um, projection when i was looking at it which is just a, a a byproduct of of his receivers i guess is is what i'm trying to trying to look at and it'll be inter another interesting case to to keep an eye on you have his uh 15 right between joe burrow and baker mayfield and i don't think most people are drafting him anywhere near there 
redraft wise, I don't yeah. think you have to, but yeah, he's yeah. he's he's one of those back end QBs that is gonna be more startable than anyone really wants <laughs> to be yeah. the truth. Um and yeah, Baker Mayfield, I want to be higher on Baker Mayfield. I am thinking Joe Burrow's got an O-line problem, and I don't know what to do with that. Fantasy stats are not good enough, equipped enough, or researched O-lines enough to really know the interplay there, but I do know it's a problem. It's basically Joe Burrow's only problem outside of the team management situation sucks Um, because Joe Burrow's really good. His receivers are really good, um, and it all seems set to go in 2021. I, I just worry about them being able to live up to what their their potential based on the fact that Joe Burrow is going to spend a lot of time on his ass. Well, continuing the theme, a little bit of uh, these competing receivers, but we're going to slide over into tight ends a little bit more. Um, why why does people still hate Evan Engram? I think I read something in, interesting yesterday that it, technically Evan Engram is like the sixth most – productive tight end in history through you know this point in his career uh and yet he is just plummeting in adp um and he's got you know galladay coming in there could could you hush up about that until after my scott fishbowl draft because like he's the entire key to me not screwing up the tight end position (laughs) because i'm not drafting one in the first round because i have the 101 (laughs) and so so tell me why you love kyle pitts Peter. There you go. <laughs> Kyle Pitts. Everyone should go out and continue to draft. I don't get no Kyle Pitts. Yeah. Um, Evan Ingram's maintained his opportunity in the offense. I think that's what's been noted. He has a um, quarterback problem <laughs> where yeah. I, I really have started to think about this, especially as a solution to mine on Jacob's disagreement over the quarterback and wide receiver balance. I think the quarterback might have more influence on that touchdown scoring. Um, which is interesting watching Matthew Stafford switch in place of Jared Goff. Maybe we'll see something that can help us out uh, reasoning with that. Um, But um, I I think, yeah, you said it. I mean, Evan Ingram's been fine. He he literally did what we hope Kyle Pitts will do this year. And he's, after that, he's maintained his opportunity and his touchdowns haven't been there. It's that simple. Uh, Quarterback is much, uh, tight end, sorry, is much more prone to touchdown variants as well. Darren Waller, for example, is an exceptional tight end with exceptional volume, but he wasn't Travis Kelsey because very few are because Travis Kelsey also has that role and the touchdowns in the pack being essentially the first receiving options for Patrick Mahomes has its benefits. And I was actually trying to look it up real quick, which you think I could do, but I'm essentially, you know, a functioning monkey so some things are harder than they should be um but yeah over the last three years yeah (laughs) he had one touchdown for every 654 yards last year and he had um you know even in 2018 that was just 190 yards per touchdown and that that was a great year for Evan Ingram it's Evan Ingram's do everyone thinks he just had that one year because there was no one else in the receiving game but he's actually maintained his role in the offense it's just the offense has sucked Saquon Barkley can do a little bit more because one, he's a running back. It has more value. He can make his own plays as a running back a little bit more effectively. He has more. What is that Jacob Rickroad stat he's posted? He's got as many 30-yard touchdown breakout plays as like uh, Odo Beckham has as a running back. Yeah. Like Saquon Barkley's doing it, did it because he's exceptional. And he plays at a position which is much more prone to connection to the rest of the offense, the O-line. 
but also he gets the ball literally just put in his hands and he can jump run and run through people uh, tight ends don't really do do that and um, now the problem with evan ingram is i think that's going to continue to happen the quarterback's the same the offense is the same saquon barkley is the show but he's cheap reception points um and yeah i think he's underrated because literally the line on him correct me if i'm wrong is he got a lot of touches because there was no one else in the receiving game that year well yes. then why has he had touches every other game year then yep because he has continued to do that. It's touchdowns that have been the larger problem. And he can't catch, Peter, didn't you know? And, and last year he had a low catch rate. Yeah, he had a low catch rate, high drop rate last year, <laughs> which is the least sticky, least convincing argument you can make. Like, it's the argument you make when you want to prove something you already think, which is fine. I make those yeah. too. But be clear, if you're using drop rate, it's just because you already don't like Evan Ingram. And that's fine. Yeah. But it's not It's not a thing that tells us anything about him. Um I'm literally just looking for its target share. That should be, yeah, 17 22%, 22%. Those are the last yeah. three years of, and his opportunity shares consistently on that offense been over 20%, which is exceptionally high for a tight end. Very. He's doing what we hope Kyle Pitts is doing on a worse offense. <laughs> yep. That's yep. it. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Peter, I'm not going to hold you up any longer. I think we did you think a really... I have somewhere to be? Don't lie to the people. You're just bored of talking about... You're just bored of, bored of talking about nerdy stuff. It's fine. Uh, we can keep going for part <laughs> two. I needed somewhere to break it in, in half, though. Um, I don't have any more particular... Is there a player or anyone you wanted to highlight that was an interesting player to project because we've covered quarterbacks as much as we want to cover quarterbacks, which is just in passing of all the other positions and running back wide receiver and, uh, and, and one, at least one tight end that I was interested in. I mean, the, the, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. Like I'm really interested in Miami this year, just cause I don't do a lot oh. of quarterback evaluation, but I don't, I do know that Tua hasn't played enough for us suddenly to not think he's the next best thing. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, okay. Like, he's really disliked, and um, he hasn't played yet. And considering that year, the year some great quarterbacks came out, the slogan was, tank for Tua. I don't yeah. know why suddenly he's the worst quarterback prospect ever. Yeah, if, um, if Trevor Lawrence has oh, yeah. a bad year and gets a little injured, are we going to start treating him the way we're treating Tua? Yeah, I, I think exactly that. I mean, it's if Trey uh, Trey Lance yes. um, has a great year, which is a rushing potential, he definitely could. I mean, he's a really interesting young man himself. I, I, I really think he can do well. I don't trust that offense at all. But yeah, he could easily have a great year and Trevor Lawrence have a very normal quarterback rookie year and suddenly Trevor Lawrence is bad. And, you know, I, I think it's just expectation. Um, it's like with uh, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield hasn't been Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes wasn't Patrick Mahomes until he was. Um, but he's actually improved every year. He's still one of the youngest quarterbacks in the year. He's beat his age expectation every year. I also think he's worse than we hoped, but he's not as bad as we think. And we tend to tilt on quarterbacks a lot. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that, the yes. reason I'm interested is because Mike Kosecki has been a top 12 tight end two years in a row. He's actually due to stop doing that or actually increase yeah, and I think he's probably going to stop one. doing that. But um, Will Fuller has been an exceptional wide receiver alongside DeAndre Hopkins when healthy. Um, not DeAndre Hopkins level, for example, but definitely you know a tier above most in terms of yards per team pass attempts, yards per snap. He's been really good. Um, and if Tua isn't the worst, 
then Will Fuller and after a suspension can stay healthy. And his injuries have not come from college. They're actually, they actually are random injuries that don't typically repeat, that we don't get that feeling of Will Fuller, but that's what he's had. Um, so if he cannot get the look of the freaking Irish or whatever this year, um, and Tua isn't the worst quarterback ever, those two especially um, can help each other a lot, especially to be ADP expectation at least. Yeah, I absolutely agree there. Uh, Peter, is there anywhere else, anything else you need to say to the listeners? Of course, they need to check out your Patreon. Is there an easy link for that? No, it's just Patreon backslash. I think it's Peter Howard or P A Howard. Just, just meet me on Twitter, okay? At P A Howdy. The link to my free database is my pinned tweet. That's for all college players going back to 2000, uh, everyone that's entered the NFL. And that's free. It's hosted on Patreon, but it clicks through to a Google Street. Mo- most stuff I try to do is free, even though you know making money would be nice one day. But <laughs> I mostly enjoy the community. And I want to give back to it because I get a lot out of it. Um, and so, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at PA Howdy. I write for DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Um, but yeah, come talk to me anytime on, on those Twitter streets, I guess. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Peter, once again for, uh, coming on and look forward to year four and we'll find something new to talk about then. Come on, Tennessee, throw the ball a little more. Jesus. Uh, you know, something I could have asked you about and maybe is is I've kind of had this take lately of um with with Lamar Jackson that uh I just don't think his receivers were good. And I mean Andrews is a good, but he's not a That's wide what receiver. Someone was saying before though, the the consistency of it is remarkable, actually, how little they get touchdowns from the wide receiver position. But my question is always, do you remember those wide receivers' names? No. That's what I think it was. I think I think if John Harborough has an exceptional wide receiver, he will use an exceptional wide receiver the same way he used Mark Andrews. Um, uh, Steve Smith? Not the I same mean, way, but you know Steve what I mean. Smith, but still, Steve Smith was I still getting ridiculous mark, target share. Can adjust. Yeah, yeah. I think he's good because he can adjust for the talent on his depth chart. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, I get it. It's an outside hope. It's but, not um, it's not coach based because Harbaugh's had, you know, six hundred plus pass attempt seasons with Flacco. It's entirely Pete Court people um being on Lamar Jackson and saying that Lamar Jackson can't throw five hundred plus pass attempts. And I just continually say, Well, he has had terrible wide receivers and yet he's done what he's done. Um and people are down on his accuracy, but he's like 64, 65, you know, percent completion rate. That's not bad at all. Right. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just really interesting. So I, I, I really liked Bateman before the draft and the whole process. And so it'll be really interesting to see if he, if, if he hits um, not so much year one, because I don't think that's a lot to expect. But that was kind of a take of mine all the way back, you know, before all this started, that one day Lamar Jackson's going to get his version of Stefan Diggs and everyone's going to be too low on them both because of quote unquote passing volume. Well, the thing about um, the low passing expectation, I think everyone goes to short passing, therefore, which makes sense. But um... well, Lamar throws deep, but just less. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I, he doesn't throw that much less. That's the thing. I think an outside, like I think Marcus Brown has shown that a, a good wide receiver can earn volume and do well on it. It's just a Marcus Brown isn't Julio, AJ Brown. He he's one of those guys, and that's fine. Um, he, but he's done like he hasn't busted out. He's not Laquan Treble. He's earned an exceptional opportunity in that offense. It's just remained yeah. small because he's not good enough mm-hmm. or the team makeup to entirely change the team makeup is Rashad Bateman. I don't know, but I'll take that better that ADP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why I say if he can, if he can hit out, have a successful rookie year, then he can go in a sophomore season and, and really propel that offense into much more passing. Um, so that'll, that's another case. It'll be interesting to, to watch, but we already touched on a couple of those. So I, I moved on. Um, yeah, <laughs> So anyway, I mean, at that point, some things just don't happen enough. You can have a statistical take. I mean, I've got stuff that guides me and I try and throw it out. But ultimately, it's yeah, I guess we're just kind of winging it on the way we read that particular situation. I mean, that's that's my process when it comes down to it, you know. I should go, I guess. Good say. I think (laughs) the kids are in bed, but they're not asleep. So I should go. I should make sure that they uh, settle down. All right. Yeah, you got to show your face before they go to sleep. That's <sighs> yeah, that's a rule or something. It's somewhere it's written down, I'm pretty sure. All right. All right. Thanks, Peter. Have a good night. See you.